a lot of us struggle with um, intentionality. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. In our current series, we're talking about some things, some values, actually, that should be a part of who we are as a church, as New Life Christian Church. And the truth is, we all individually, we have, we have values. We, as individuals, have those values. We, as a church, have those values. And you might say, well, I've never declared values. So, so you're wrong. I've never declared them, therefore I don't have them. Or you might say, well, I don't have stated values, so, so do I really have values that drive who I am or what I do? Well, here's the truth. You, you can best define the values of a person or an organization by observing them. That, that's, how, that's how you figure it out. Their actions, the way that they are in certain situations, what matters to them, these kinds of things point to what a, a person or an organization's values are. And most of us, if we were honest, would probably say that we we haven't necessarily thought on that level about what our values are. And might even say that we're not too worried about them because if I'm happy, if I'm doing what I want to do and living the way I want to live, whatever that says my values are, that's fine with me. I'm cool with that. Some of us would be at that point. That's a much more common mindset than we'd probably like to acknowledge. That, well, whatever that would point to is okay. But we should care about our values. We should have values that guide how we live how we live should determine our values, and, and that's where the intentionality comes in. If we decide that kindness is going to be a value in our lives, then we have the power to be kind. To show that's a value, to, to, to function that out in the way that we speak, in the way that we act, in the way that we treat people. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. So, so in this series, all of these things, we can, we can talk about them, and we can say, these things sound awesome, they sound great, we should do this. But it then takes a step of intentionality to say, okay, it's one thing to say, I want this to be a part of who I am, or we want this to be a part of what the church is. We have to actually take the step to do it, to do the hard things that make that possible. As a church, I don't think you can necessarily right now look at New Life and say each of the things that we've talked about is true. I don't don't necessarily think we could do that. I think we'd be a little full of ourselves if we did but with some intentional shifting of priorities, with a, with a potentially adjusted allocation of our resources, and with lots of prayer and guidance from God, that kind of intentionality could help us install those as our true values. And so that goes on an individual level too. If there are things you want to be true about yourself, if you shift your priorities, if you reallocate your resources, and you seek God's guidance, I believe that you can make those things the values that drive you as a person as well. So far on the church level, we've talked about having big faith, believing that God can and will do amazing things in our lives through us and and through new life with us as as a group. And so we talked about needing to dream big and make the ask because God is that powerful. And then last week we talked about being spiritual contributors instead of spiritual consumers, that, that those of us who know Jesus Christ have a responsibility to understand that, that in Him we have all that we need. And so we better pour into the lives of others so that they can know Him as well and spend eternity with Him in heaven. And today we're going to talk about generosity. Now it would be amazing if one of our values was being irrationally generous. In, in Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 35, the second part of that verse, this is, this is um, Luke writing here, and he says, And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed 
to give and to receive. And you've probably heard that before. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But what's interesting about that quotation, as Luke writes it here, is that nowhere else in Scripture is it actually written that Jesus said those words. And yet, if Jesus really said that, we could just end today with that passage and say, well, if it's more blessed to give than to receive, then yeah, we should not have any trouble being irrationally generous. It's that simple. And actually, I did a little bit of research on this particular passage because what I realized was, like, there are people who adamantly believe that Jesus never said this because it's nowhere else in Scripture. And I have, a tr- I have trouble with that thought process. That's not a good enough reason for me, because while I, while I do wish that every word Jesus ever said was recorded, that would be great, obviously that's not the case. Obviously, it's simply unrealistic to imagine that every word Jesus ever uttered is recorded, and so there are going to be some things that aren't in Scripture, which led me to this thought. As amazing as everything that is recorded about Jesus in the Gospels is, the miracles, the teachings, all the words that he spoke that are recorded, there is this unknown quantity of more. More teaching, more conversations, more miracles even. The Gospels could only hold so much of Jesus' life and teaching, which is why in John chapter 21, verse 25, it says this, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. And I think sometimes we, we slip into this trap where we think, well, I know everything about the life of Jesus because I've read the Gospels and I've been in enough sermons that have talked about the life of Jesus and I understand Jesus. And the truth is, I love the way that that's phrased. That if it was really all written down, it, it would take more books than we can imagine. And so I do believe that Jesus said that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And the reason I believe it is not because it's somewhere else in Scripture he's quoted, but it's because of the way he lived while he was here on this earth. Based on his life, based on the actions I read in the Gospels and, and his words that I read in the Gospels. I absolutely 100% believe that even though those specific words are never recorded that he said them, that's something Jesus absolutely would have said. And it's a nice statement. We we like the sound of it and we say it, and and it it sounds good. It sounds positive. It makes us feel good if we say we believe that. And we feel good about ourselves when we function that way. It comes up a lot at Christmas, right? Which is legitimately not that far away, in case you didn't realize that. But we say that around Christmas, we say it's more blessed to give than to receive, and I want, you know, I want to give all these gifts, and it doesn't matter if I get anything. I understand that, because when I find a great present for somebody, I'm really pumped about it, and I kind of want to give it to them early, and sometimes I do. And I'm, I'm pretty legitimately good at Christmas shopping. You can ask my wife that. I'm pretty good at it. But we, we get excited sometimes, and, and we understand that. But, but let's be honest here. We're, we're all friends here today. We can say this. I still like receiving almost as much as I like giving when it comes to presents at Christmas time. Like, it's still fun when somebody else finds you the perfect gift and you get to receive it. Like, that's pretty legitimate. And so we like the sound of it, but at the same time, we have to admit on our human side, we, we still like to receive. And because of that, it's tough for us to, cl- to declare this idea of value. Because being irrationally generous means fully embracing, like taking it to the next level, this idea that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And generosity doesn't come naturally to a lot of us. Don't get me wrong, I've known some truly generous people who, who defied logic when it came to their generosity, who, who just were generous for the sake of being generous or generous for no reason at all. I've definitely come across those people, but it's rare. 
for most of us, it's something, if we're going to be generous, it's something we have to decide we're going to do. It's something we have to decide we're going to pursue. And so I believe that as a church, for us to become irrationally generous, it means that we as individuals have to be irrationally generous first. And then that irrational generosity has to be particularly present in our church leadership, and it has to influence our decision-making and our direction. And honestly, that, that's the formula here. That's what this comes down to. Becoming irrationally generous it is an intentional process. It's something we have to decide to do. It's almost certainly not going to happen by accident. And so I'd rather spend the rest of our time together today talking about the why. Why irrational generosity is so important. Now in the book of 2 Corinthians, and you have this scripture in your bulletin, um, we get this pretty cool example of generosity, this pretty cool idea here. In this letter, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's trying to encourage them. And that was kind of a thing that Paul did on a regular basis. He would, he would call people out on what they needed to be called out on, but he would do it in a way that you couldn't deny was encouraging. That's a really good skill to possess if you have that, if you're that kind of person who can call somebody on their junk, but also in that process encourage them instead of just you know, belittling them. That's, a, that's an amazing skill, and that's what Paul does here. And so he's trying to, to encourage the Corinthian church, and he does that by talking about the Macedonian people. And the reason that Paul talks so much about the Macedonians, the reason he's kind of hung up on them in this story, is because they were dirt poor. I mean, really had very little to their name, and yet they as a people had given a huge gift to the church in Jerusalem. And so essentially, Paul was using them as an example, kind of bragging on them, but also using that information to try to influence and to inspire the Corinthian church to do the same thing. And so we're in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. It really seems that no matter how negative the situation was, and we don't have all the details, but, but there's more to this from what Paul wrote than just that the Macedonians are poor. But no matter what the situation was, no matter how negative it was, it's clear that they made generosity a priority, which is counter to our natural inclination. When things are tough for us, we have this tendency to tighten up and to, to, to feel like every penny is already spoken for, sometimes twice. And so there's no room for generosity, and yet Paul makes it clear that the Macedonian people gave because they wanted to give. It's no accident that he writes, and they did it of their own free will. It was their decision, and, and they gave more than they could actually afford to give, and, and that's where you get the irrational part of this. There was a line, there was an amount that was what they could afford to give, and they gave more than that. That's not rational. They knew what money they could spare, and yet they gave more. It actually gets a little more ridiculous in, in verse 4. It says, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They begged us again and again. That's crazy. They even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. They wanted so badly to be a part of what God was doing in Jerusalem that they begged for more opportunities to give. 
The people who didn't have enough money begged for more opportunities to give. I can't tell you the last time I was sitting on my couch at home and I was like, man, I wish someone would ask me for money. I would love to give some of that away. I wish more charities would call me so I could be more generous. I wish more people would just simply say, hey, could you spare a couple bucks? Because I'd love to just give away some more money. Honestly, when we're generous, we're a little bit more likely to be reluctantly generous, aren't we? We're not actually hoping for opportunities to do so a lot of the time. And yet here's the Macedonians, these, these people that are poor, begging for more opportunities to give to the Christians in Jerusalem. And why? Well, it's pretty clear. It's simply because they're committed to God and being a part of what He was doing. They see it as their responsibility. They gave of themselves. They gave of their money. They gave of their resources to the point where it was truly irrational. Verse 6, he goes on, So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you. Remember, he's, he's not speaking to the Macedonians here. He's speaking to the Corinthian church. To return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. And so Paul turns it back on the Corinthian church. And he points out how many things they do well. And he says, hey, you're great at this and you're great at this and that's wonderful. But why can't giving be as great as those other things? In verse 8 he says, I am not commanding you to do this. But I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. And in that verse is maybe the most important piece of this whole idea. When he says, I'm not commanding you to be generous in giving, but I'm testing how how genuine your love is by comparing it to their churches, I feel like what he's saying there is genuine love shows up in irrational generosity. That genuine love is at the core of irrational generosity. Let's hang on to that statement. We'll come back to it in a couple minutes. Continuing in the story, verse 9. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And so Paul takes this to an even deeper spiritual level by bringing Jesus into the conversation. And so it's clear that he wants this letter, this writing, to challenge and inspire the Corinthian church, but also to convict them of where they've fallen short. It's this double-edged sword. Again, it's, it's an amazing quality in a person that can do that. And he finishes up beginning in verse 10 here with this. He says, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started A year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not to what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way things will be equal, as the Scriptures say. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. See, here's what I think is really going on here. The Corinthian church was generous out of the gate. When, When they kind of started things off, they were generous out of the gate, but they started to let it slide. And I don't know if that means that they, they turned and became inwardly focused and started worrying about themselves. I don't know if they, they built themselves some sort of structure and spent a bunch of their money on that. I, I don't know what happened. 
But it's clear from what Paul writes here that, that he has seen a change in them from very generous to not so much, to the point where he feels like he needs to intervene in this way. Again, I feel like this illustrates this fact. Generosity has to be intentional. If you're not intentional about it, that quality in you and in me and in our church, it, it, it tends to go away. It tends to slip. We have to decide to be generous, irrationally generous. It's not going to happen by accident. And I believe that the Corinthian church was probably very intentional up front. And they said, we're going to give because others have given to us. Others have supported us. Others have encouraged us. We need to do the same thing. And as time goes by, they get more comfortable and it becomes less urgent, less obvious that that's what they need to do. And if they're not intentional about it, this is what happens. You see, Isaiah, a long, long time before this wrote, and it's recorded in Isaiah 32.8, wrote these words, and, and this, this says it all. He said, but generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. This really is one of those things for most of us that we have to decide is going to be a part of who we are. It takes a plan. It takes a plan. And how many of us actually do that? How many of us actually plan to be generous? We would like to be generous. It feels good when we're generous. We would hope that when the situation arises, we'd be able to be generous. We take some opportunities to be generous. We, we even may describe ourselves as generous. But really, how many of us plan to be generous? And how many of us are consistently generous? I'm not. I can say that for sure. And, and it absolutely has something to do with not planning to be generous. Now, now there is one particular situation where, we, where people tend to plan to be generous. Um, remember, we already talked about the fact that Christmas is coming. A lot of us plan to be super generous around Christmas. Or it's easier to be super generous around Christmas. A lot of us, we wake up during December and suddenly we're generous. Although admittedly, that also has an effect on the charitable contribution portion of our taxes for the year. But that's hopefully not the only reason we're generous. But, but we do really well with this around a holiday like Christmas. And, and we, we do things for our neighbors and we, we find some organizations helping kids that are living in poverty. And we, we buy them Christmas presents. And, and there's things we do around here at New Life around Christmas where, where we just see extra generosity in people. But we do really well with this around Christmas. Why can't we plan to be irrationally generous all year long? Or better yet, why can't we make generosity some sort of habit? It sure seems like we'd be better at it if we could get into the habit of being generous, which is true about a lot of things. And I thought about it, is it actually possible to be habitually generous? I don't know if that's a habit you can actually form. But I think I'd rather say this. I think I would rather do what it takes to make sure that I have a generous heart and have my irrational generosity spout from that generous heart, to pour out from that generous heart, than to be generous out of habit. Which comes back to what we said earlier, and I said we would come back to, which is this, that genuine love shows up in irrational generosity. One thing we haven't specifically addressed is the recipient of, of any given moment of generosity. And, and here's the truth. If you're passionate about something, if you have a heart for something, if you have a genuine love for something or someone, irrational generosity in that situation is easier. If you need to give of your time or your money or your resources or your energy to someone you love, it's not a problem. 
If you need to do that for someone you don't like very much, it's a little bit tougher, isn't it? The same thing goes for for organizations. If you have a heart for people suffering from a, a particular disease or illness, you're much more likely to be willing to be generous with those who are working to cure that specific illness or who work with, with kids that have this issue that you are particularly passionate about or you know, in a specific country that you're passionate about. Having gone to Bible college, I have all these people I know that are, that are on the mission field in different places around the world. And I wish that I could give to all of them, but, but there are going to be places and people that are, we are more passionate about. And in those situations, we're going to be more willing to be irrationally generous with them. If we have hearts for God, we should be much more generous serving His church and giving to the growth of the kingdom of God, if that's something that we're passionate about. If it's not, it's going to be a struggle for us. This is one of those things where it's not about being commanded to be generous. Notice that that Paul was very clear about that in his letter. He said, this is not a command. But for us, this is a heart issue. Where love is, I believe, generosity closely follows. And it's all the better for us, too. Even though in our generosity we give away our time and our money and our energy and our resources, the truth is we also receive. In Proverbs chapter 11, there is so much truth in Proverbs. Verses 24 and 25 says this, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. You see, it's all about perspective, as so much of this has been. It's all about understanding that we are blessed and therefore should turn around and bless others. That God has given us much and we can return generosity for generosity. That's really what this is about. And so what that means for us as a church, as followers of Jesus, as a group of believers, is that if we feel that we have been generously blessed by God, and we absolutely have been, And if we love God and have a heart for the people that God wants us to reach and to serve and to meet needs in their lives, then we should have an amazing outlet for our personal generosity through the church, which in turn will be able to be generous beyond understanding and serving the community and beyond and meeting needs in our community and beyond and growing the kingdom in our community and beyond. You see, we have to remember that all of this It's temporary. All of this, this life and everything in it, it is absolutely temporary. It's a gift from God, but it's also kind of on loan. Because we can't keep it forever. Which to me is all the more reason to be irrationally generous. Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 19. Jesus said these words, he said, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will also be. I understand a little bit the fascination that our world has with accumulating wealth and accumulating stuff. I get the struggle. I get the temptation because I struggle with it sometimes. Would I love to have more money? Well, if you meet somebody who says no, I, I question that. It probably just means they already have too much. I don't know. Because if we had more money, it would make a lot of things easier, a lot of things more fun, a lot of other reasons. 
We might even say, well, if I had more money, I could be more generous. And so I get that fascination with, with accumulating wealth and stuff, but we need to be more passionate about God than we are about hoarding our wealth or hoarding our energy or hoarding our time because those things are temporary and He is eternal. Here's the bottom line. Here's what this comes down to. When it comes to generosity, everyone has the ability to be generous. Everyone has the capacity. There is no good excuse for not being generous. You'll hear plenty of excuses. You'll make plenty of excuses. I've made plenty of excuses. But I believe if our hearts are focused on the right things, if we're passionate about God and about people, if we truly wish to express our love for God and our love for others, then irrational generosity must become a part of who we are. And if those things are true, it will become a part of who we are. In Luke chapter 21, there's, there's this story. Beginning in verse 1, it says this, While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I'll tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. You see, so often we say, well, I'd be, I'd be more generous. I'd give to more, more charities and missions and more of what God's doing if I had more money. And that's, that's not, it's not about the amount. It's about the sacrifice. And if we truly get to the point where we understand that all of this is temporary, I believe that if we really understood that, we might loosen our grip on at least some of the blessings that God has given us and realize that, that the best thing we can do with it is give it back. To, to serve people in need with it, to, to give back to God, to grow His kingdom with it. And whatever that looks like in our lives, whether that means you know, we need to loosen the grip on the checkbook or whether that means we need to loosen our grip on the clock because we just don't have enough time to give our time. Whatever that is, we have to get to the point where we truly understand that it's temporary and it's a gift from God, so we might as well use it for Him. Let's pray. God, You really have blessed us with so much, and we should probably feel pretty guilty every time we want more. But it seems to be a part of our nature. It seems to be a part of who we are. I pray that our perspective on that could change. God, I think that if we, if we truly realized, if we truly function like we understood that everything we have is a gift from you, it would change the way we live. I'm afraid we just don't, don't always see it that way. So if our, if our eyes can change, if our perspective can change, if you can, if you can clear our vision on this, I believe that it could change the way we live. And I pray that you would do that for us. God, again, you, you've given us so much, I pray that we would have the drive and the desire to give it right back to you, to, to serve people who need to know your love, to meet needs in your name. Whatever we can do, to, to give of our time, to give of our resources, to give of our energy. God, I'm confident that, that in all that we give, that you'll replenish it in us. I pray that we would seek to do those things in the areas where we're already passionate, to pour out of hearts that love 
irrational generosity. And God, I pray that you would help us to focus as we continue in our service, as we, as we move into a time of communion. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.